Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. You're listening to Primetime on Money FM 89.3. I'm Rachel Kelly with Shazad Haq. Now, time to catch up with our friends from the BBC to find out more about the headlines they're tracking in the week ahead. And we're joined on the line now by Rich Preston, senior world news reporter and presenter at the BBC. Happy New Year, Rich. And Happy New Year to you, Rachel and Shazad as well. And I understand you're having a very happy New Year in Thailand. Yeah, that's right. I've been able to get over and visit some family here. And obviously, Thailand, you know, is closed its borders relatively mm. early on in the pandemic, opened them up recently, so made the most of the opportunity to get tested, prove my vaccine status mm. and get over here. Well, Rich, very good to have you join us for a while here to give us your thoughts. And, you know, there's a lot going on around the world, but uh, let's start with where you are. New year, new virus, vaccines, variants, all kinds of things going on. But what's going on there for a start and what should we watch out for in the world of coronavirus? Yeah, so Thailand is an interesting one, Shazad. You know, it was the first country outside of China to report cases of coronavirus back in January 2020 and for a while it was the worst affected country in the world. You know, I remember early on in the pandemic reporting rising case numbers in Thailand but then that quickly changed. You know, like many Asian countries, especially those who had suffered badly during SARS, you know, the masks went on, the borders were closed, restrictions came in and people kind of worked together to keep Mm. cases down and it, it worked. You know, as we've seen in countries like Singapore the numbers have been relatively low, the vaccination rate is over 70% here. Deaths as well, relatively low. The big hit, of course, was to the tourism industry. You know, Thailand depends on Americans, Australians, Brits, Germans coming and spending their money here. And that just didn't happen Mm. for about 18 months. Hotels, restaurants, bars all suffered. Recently, those restrictions were lifted. People were able to come visit again. But then, of course, Omicron. And actually, just in the week I came last week, the rules changed. You know, I was supposed to come over here with proof of my vaccination status, get one test on arrival, after which I'd be released from quarantine and that would be it. But then because of Omicron and rising cases here, I now have to do a second test, which I did just the other day. But the thing is, the government seems to be a bit confused as to what it wants to do. And the rules are changing by the day almost. When I arrived, it was a test between days five and seven. Then it changed to five to six. Then it was on day five. And even the staff at the test centre where I went to get my test done were saying they've no clue what's happening. They feel sorry for the tourists because the gold posts keep being moved. Mm. Actually, one of the officials at the test centre was saying she wouldn't be surprised if things changed completely and they once again completely locked off foreign travel, which, of course, mm. the hotels really don't want them to do. But, you know, when I arrived at Sawanapum Airport, there's 25 baggage carousels there. They're normally all spinning. There was one of them working. The foreign passport queues, normally 20, 30 people deep. There was one person in front of me. You know, it is deserted. Bangkok, like a ghost city, especially in the tourist areas. I'm uh, staying in a beach hotel at the moment, which is normally packed, and there's just a handful of us. So it's been pretty disastrous for the tourism industry. But then, you know, where do you draw the line between tourism money and keeping your citizens safe? And that is it, isn't it, Rich? It's a difficult balance at the moment for many economies that had just started to reopen. And then Omicron reared its head at the end of 2021. I mean, we just read in the news here in Singapore, it now accounts for 17% of the COVID-19 cases here. And our health minister has said today that a wave of Omicron is imminent. So can you give us an update on on what else is happening in the world of coronavirus? Yeah, I mean, cases also rising in India. They've mm-hmm. reported 33,000 cases in the last 24 hours. A real concern there, especially with Omicron. They're starting to vaccinate younger people today between 15 and 18. The studies suggest that Omicron doesn't hit 
people as severely. You know, South Africa says they've kind of passed the worst of it. But the problem is still it does make people sick. Even if it doesn't put you in intensive care, you're still sick. And there were headlines in the UK last week saying that one in 10 members of NHS staff are off ill. And the problem is if you've got that number of people off sick, they can't cope with the people who do need care. So that's a real concern in the health system in Britain. In France at the moment uh, is considering uh, changing its current health pass to a vaccine pass, mm-hmm. which would effectively strong arm people into getting the vaccine mm-hmm. even if they don't want it, because without that vaccine pass, they can't get into public spaces. And the real issue tomorrow, controversially, is going to be in the US, where a federal mandate is going to make private employers with more than 100 employees uh, have to get people vaccinated. And, you know, up until now, it's been government employees and contractors, but this will affect private businesses. If you own a retail store in the middle of Utah and you employ 101 people, they have to get vaccinated. If they choose not to, they have to get tested every week and wear a mask indoors. That's due to come into force tomorrow. But as you'd imagine, with America being America, several states have already challenged the White House on that federal mandate. So it could well all be stopped by the courts. And that said, Rich, just staying in America as well, we've got, just looking at the numbers, 202% increase over the past two weeks, according to the New York Times database when it comes to cases on the back of this Omicron variant. Although Anthony Fauci has come out today to say, focus on hospitalizations, they're up only 30% in comparison. Deaths have also dropped 4%. Is this a trend that we're seeing happening globally? I think the kind of disparity between cases and hospitalizations is definitely a global trend mm-hmm. but you've also got to look at testing i mean testing you know certainly in the uk is pretty widely available it's becoming more widely available in the us other countries like india are concerned that people just aren't getting tested therefore they don't know the real number and of course in line with testing there's vaccines you know in the year ahead governments are talking about living with covid rather than beating it and you know a virus if it's able to spread it's going to spread it's going to mutate survival of the fit and this is going to continue to happen if we have vaccine inequality. So it really is up to the richer countries to help the poorer countries roll out vaccines if we want to get on top of coronavirus and stay on top of it. You know, Rich, you were just talking there about uh, compliance uh, for those federal mandates in the US. And that kind of brings us quite nicely to another topic that we wanted to discuss today, which was uh, the ultimate show of non-compliance. January 6th anniversary is coming up very shortly. Of course, the attack on the US Capitol, which Mm. shocked not just Americans, but people watching that live around the world. Those riots of course, uh, from Donald Trump supporters storming the building, some of them attacking police officers, breaking to the offices of the uh, Speaker of the House and saying they wanted to kill her. What have we got in store? I mean, we've just seen reports that now the committee is trying to subpoena congressmen as well, congressmen and women. Yeah, I mean, whichever side of the debate you're on, this is undoubtedly or was one of the dark days in American history, certainly when it comes to American democracy. You know, and you've got to remember Five people died, one police officer, four protesters, and in the immediate aftermath, four other police officers took their own lives Mm. and their relatives say that that was because of the trauma that they had suffered on the day. You know, this is not to be taken lightly. There's a full program of official events planned for Thursday for the anniversary. 
The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, will be addressing staff. There's going to be a prayer vigil in the evening. Members of the House will have the opportunity to take the floor, share their memories, share their experiences. The White House says it's going to be organising some events as well. But as we said, this is divisive. There are two sides to every story, especially in America. And on the flip side, former President Donald Trump will be holding his own press conference, he said. And that comes off the back of a press release in which Mr Trump posed the question, why isn't the unselect committee of highly partisan political hack investigating the January 6th protest and the rigged election of 2020? You know, he is not budging on this one and, you know, is making his position crystal clear. And there are affiliate groups as well. There's one called Look Ahead America. It says it will be holding events to pay tribute to those who it says have been targeted uh, for political prosecution because they exercise their First Amendment rights at the US Capitol. You know, it's referring to the several hundred who are under investigation by law enforcement for their involvement in those riots. And they say they're going to be remembering the protesters who they claim were murdered at the hands of American police officers. So, you know, undoubtedly a dark day in American history. But in spite of that shared simplistic view, the detail is as divisive as ever. We're speaking with Rich Preston, senior world news reporter and presenter at the BBC. Rich, very quickly, before we let you go, speaking of Mr. Trump, another story that you're watching this week talks back underway to try and salvage what's called the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, better known to most as the Iran nuclear deal, which fell apart after President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the agreement. Can this deal be saved? Yeah, I mean, how much do you want to bet, Rachel? I mean, it was 2018 President Trump pulled the U.S. out. And ultimately, this deal had one goal. That goal was to stop Iran producing nuclear weapons. And, you know, the countries involved all were generally happy. There was a bit of friction here and there. But Trump said this was the worst deal he'd ever seen and Mm. pulled the U.S. out. Ever since then, there have been talks. But Iran is really never going to agree to anything without the U.S. on board because the U.S. has the toughest sanctions on Iran. Full stop. President Biden says he's keen to get involved. But the talks that have happened so far, Iran and the US have never met directly. It's all kind of with these other European countries in the middle and China and Russia acting as a go-between. So yes, there's positivity. Yes, there's optimism. But in the meantime, Iran has also elected a hardliner, Ibrahim Raisi, who's not as interested in negotiating with the US. So until the US and Iran can get round the table together, which isn't going to happen this week, then it's highly unlikely we will see the Iran nuclear deal saved. Okay, Rich. Well, wonderful to catch up with you. Thank you for all your updates today. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We've been speaking with Rich Preston, senior world news reporter and presenter at the BBC. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.